0: Thank you, choir. Our reading, our final reading comes from John chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. And you can find that on page 1671 in your pew Bibles, John 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to, the, to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up, "'We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man?' Then Jesus told them, "'You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light.'" When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. The word of the Lord. We are creatures of habit. Let us pray. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, your Son is the light of the world. Your Son is the seed that must be cast down, must die in order for us to live. Help us to heed his word, heed his promise, and follow him where he commands us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today is Palm Sunday, a day when we wave palm branches, and I promise you'll get your palm branch at the end of the service. I know many of you are going, where's my palm branch? You'll get it at the end, I promise. But today to wave your palm branches and to shout, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, blesses the King of Israel. Hosanna. Let's even hear it. Hosanna. Hosanna. Oh, you're good. I'm telling you. That's the kind of festive attitude that Palm Sunday is. It's It's a day of celebration. And yet today is also a day filled with contradictions. First in our reading, we find Jesus riding on a donkey, a king you would think would ride a noble steed. Instead, this Jesus who owns everything must borrow a donkey. Second, we have the crowd. On this day, they shouted, Hosanna, but in a few days, they would shout, You've heard this before. They wouldn't. There's a contradiction there. Third, the religious leaders. The religious leaders who know the words of God, the religious leaders who know the prophecies, the religious leaders who had read Zechariah. You would think they'd be the first one to stand up and praise Jesus. Instead, while all this is going on, they were plotting his. Death. Contradiction. And then we have Jesus himself. Jesus himself, Jesus who's the king of the world, um, speaks about being glorified, which means to be lifted up. But then in his very next breath, he says he will be glorified, lifted up, when he is cast down as a seed and thrown into the ground to die. Another contradiction. Contradiction. In fact, this day that's filled with celebration is also a day filled with contradiction. And so what are we to do with this? How are we to make sense of Palm Sunday, but also Passion Sunday, of, of Hosanna, but also Crucify, of Jesus the King who must borrow a donkey? How do we make sense of this? Well, to help us, I'd like to share with you an illustration that I, I came across. How many of you are familiar with the Man Gulch fire of 1949. You will be in a second, I promise, many of you will be. On August 5th, 1949, a crew of 15 of the United States Forest Service's elite airborne firefighters, you're shaking your head, you're starting to remember, these smoke jumpers stepped into the sky above a remote forest fire in the Montana wilderness. And less than an hour after their jump, all but three of these men were dead. They were burned by the fire. Many of you probably even saw a movie about it that was done a number of years ago. Um, But what's so amazing about this story is how one of the three survived. You have to understand that two of the 15 were ahead of the rest of the group, and they were able to hide into a cave. But the rest, there were 13 of the others, were, were down near the fire. And when the fire was coming upon them, they knew that they would not be able to escape and so the foreman, with the rest of the men, he started a fire. And then he commanded his men to jump into the ashes of that fire so that when the main fire coming up the hill would, would get to them, it would pass over them quickly. Now, no one had ever done this before. This wasn't typical protocol. He just somehow thought of this at the last second. And so when he commanded all of his men to jump into the fire, not a single man followed his order. Instead, they ran off, and they all, got, they all died. In fact, Dodge was his name. Is his name. Um, Dodge described what happened after giving the order by saying this. He said, I heard someone say, to hell with that. I'm getting out of here. Dodge goes on to say, For all my hollering, I could not direct anyone into the burned area. And within seconds after the last man had passed me, the main fire hit the area I was in. And shortly thereafter, every man died. Now, why didn't the men jump in to the ashes? Maybe they didn't hear the order. Maybe the idea seemed ridiculous. Maybe as young men who were the elite of the elite who were known for their physical prowess, thought that they could outrun the fire. Whatever the reason, none of them obeyed the order. None of them jumped into the ashes, and all of them lost their lives. Now, I share this with you on this Palm Sunday because that's exactly what Jesus is commanding for us in this passage. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying he's inviting all of us to jump into the ashes with him. Now, to get a better sense of this day, you have to understand what's happening. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and suddenly the whole world, it seemed like, was coming after to see him. According to Josephus, there's probably about a million people in Jerusalem at that time to celebrate the Passover. Jews and Gentiles who were converts to Judaism were all there for Passover, and they had all heard that this Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead was coming. And so suddenly all of them gathered and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. I mean, it was a festive time. In fact, so many people had gathered around him that one of the leaders of the Pharisees said, look how the whole world has gone after him. And so the whole world, it seemed like, was going after Jesus. Now, it's funny when you read old commentaries, they begin to ponder did the whole world actually go after Jesus or just, you know, I mean, it's so funny how the old commentaries work, but the real point is that many people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, Jews and Gentiles were all gathered to see this Jesus, and they were all gathered to, to, to follow Him. Truly the whole world had gone after Jesus. But there's a funny thing that happens when, when a crowd of people begin to chant. And you know this, whenever a crowd gets worked up, funny things happen. You, get, you tend to get carried away. I think that's why I don't like synod assemblies. <laughs> I mean, you have to imagine this. A bunch of Lutherans drinking coffee and eating cookies. It's a recipe for disaster. Every time. And you see these people who would never say anything step up to the microphone and just start going off. And you're going, oh, Lord, I think they've had too much sugar or something like this. I'm telling you, this is what happens. They get belted up and they get excited and they just start speaking and, and they're waving their arms around. I mean, I do it too. So I try to say, I was terrible. And so with this whole crowd coming around Jesus, coming and raising their palm branches and saying, Hosanna and Hosanna, and the whole crowd getting stirred, you can imagine the temptation would be for Jesus to say, I am the King of Israel. Let's storm the gates now. I got the whole world with me. Let's cast them out. Down with Caesar, you could see the temptation to do that. But Jesus doesn't get carried away with the crowd. Instead, with all this fervor, he shocks everyone with these words. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And at this point, you're going, yes? How's it going to happen? I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat or a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. In other words, jump into the ashes. Talk about an anticlimactic statement. This is not the kind of speech that would get you elected or reelected. Right? I'm going to be glorified how I'm going to die. And what? If you want to follow me, you're going to have to die as well. I mean, this is not the kind of message you're expecting on Palm Sunday. Anticlimactic. Could you imagine if one of our politicians gave a speech like that? Kick him out of the office now. And you wonder why the crowd wanted to yell crucify only a few days later. Jesus, you're just not a good speechwriter. You're not following through. You, the whole crowd's at your feet. And you're talking about dying, and people who want to follow you have to die as well. Truly anticlimactic. And yet there's more going on when he talks about a seed. And this is important. You see, Israel had been waiting a long time for a seed. If you remember way back in Genesis, after Adam and Eve um, sinned, God had made a promise about a seed. What would Eve's seed do? Genesis 3.15, what would Eve's seed do? crushed the head of, of the serpent. And then later to, to Abraham, God promised that his seed, Genesis 22, would bless all the nations. And then later still to David, God had promised that his seed would live forever. In fact, it says in Psalm 89, 34, it says, My covenant I will not break nor alter. The word that has gone out of my lips, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever. Forever. And that's why in this passage they say, according to the law, the seed will live. How can it die? In other words, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're not making any sense. If you're the seed of God, if you're the Messiah, you're not supposed to die. You're supposed to conquer. You're supposed to lead the people. Out of Rome, you're supposed to defeat everyone. What's this talk about dying? It doesn't make sense. Now if we're honest with ourselves, we shouldn't be surprised with this. God often does things that don't make sense. God often does things that that we don't always expect. God's ways are not always our ways. God often surprises us. We see this all throughout the Bible. To Noah, what did God say? Build an ark, and yet it hadn't rained before. (laughs) To Abraham, God said, you only have one son, go sacrifice him. What are you talking about, God? To Moses, God said, I'll lead you out of Israel, I'll bring you right to the Red Sea, oh great, we're going to drown. No, go through the Red Sea. Confusing. To Ezekiel, God said, oh, prophesy over these bones so that they might come alive. God is often doing things that we don't expect, often doing things to surprise us. But again, this shouldn't even surprise us. In the confession and absolution, what does God tell us? To confess your sins. Why? So that the God of the universe might forgive you. Or in the waters of baptism, what does God say? Get baptized. And what's going to happen in being baptized with water? You're going to be united to Christ or to the Lord's Supper that we'll take in a few minutes. God says, eat this bread and eat this wine. Why? Because I'm here for you, for the forgiveness of sins. God is constantly doing things to surprise us, constantly doing things that are much larger than we could ever imagine. St. Augustine once said, if you could comprehend what God is doing, it's not of God. (laughs) That's the problem with the people of Israel. That was the problem with Israel. Their understanding of God was too small. Their understanding of God was was too limited. God promised to be that seed, and they just didn't understand. And so, when God invited them, when Jesus invited them to follow him into death, they refused. And I bet they had all their reasons. Rome will crush us. Who is this Jesus anyway? We don't really know who his father was. He eats with sinners. He touches the lame. He's, forgave, he's forgiven people. little too dangerous to follow. Be safer to yell, crucified. And yet the question of this... Remains for this day, the question is simply this Jesus is inviting you to follow him, to jump into the ashes. Are you going to? Are you willing to follow Jesus where he leads? Are you willing to jump into the ashes, even if you don't understand what those ashes might mean? Are you willing to jump? Are you willing to follow? I think if we're honest with ourselves. The saint in us is. The saint in us loves to follow Jesus, but there's another us in us, <laughs> the sinner. And the sinner in us doesn't like to follow. The sinner in us gives our reasons why we shouldn't follow. The sinner in us thinks that, that we can outrun that fire all by ourselves. If we work hard enough, if we do enough good works, if we have enough money in our bank account, if we have enough education, if we're a nice enough person, then, then we can truly outrun that fire. If we have good health? The sinner in us is wrong. The sinner in us tries to outrun God and outrun the fire. The sinner in us always dies. The only way to gain your life, Jesus says, is to lose it. The sinner in us must die. And the sinner only dies when we trust that it's God who saves and not us, when we trust that what God is promising, He really is offering, and we can't do it ourselves. Listen again. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me? Jump into the ashes. Now, I want to end with one last statement. I know you're going, you should have ended there, and I probably should have. But At 6.10 p.m., Dodge rose out of those ashes. Dodge had been in those ashes for 15 minutes. He didn't know this, but they, they were able to calculate when the fire had passed. For 15 minutes, he was stuck in those ashes. 15 minutes later, he was able to come up alive. No one else survived except those other two were able to outrun it because they were way ahead. Our Lord Jesus was in the ground for three days. And on that third day, he was able to rise. And in rising, he was vindicated. He was vindicated. And his words about dying and rising mean that we're trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Everything he says is trustworthy. When he says your sins are forgiven, you are forgiven. And when he says that he goes to prepare a place for you, he goes to prepare a place for you. And when he says that he will come back for you, he will come back for you. And when he says on that final day there will be no more tears and no more pain, for the old things have been passed away, have been burned. He means it. You will live. You will live. You will live. You can trust Jesus. So jump into the ashes. In Jesus' name, amen.